0: Hello, hello, and welcome. It's time for Tech 37. My name is Rob Boyd. To our live audience, thank you so much for your patience as we sorted out some things on my end, uh, juggling some of the technical considerations as we bring in a couple of stellar guests as we're talking today about cyber resilience. And I'm excited for this topic, especially because I've, I've worked with these gentlemen before. They come from different disciplines that are now so important that they work better together. And we're gonna explain all of that, whether you're familiar with the, with the terminology or not is definitely something you're gonna wanna consider more deeply for your own organization. So with that, it's time for Tech 37, your home for technology, education, and collaboration. Let's get this show started and meet our experts, shall we? Welcome to the Big Cyber Resilience Show, the extravaganza, gentlemen. <laughs> so glad to have you, have you with me. Had a little bit of trouble getting you into the system. Uh, we're gonna figure those things out, but we're here now, it looks like, at least I've got what looks to appears to be two human bodies with uh, deep knowledge from, <laughs> from our conversations previously. Let's make sure everybody's comfortable with who you are. I hope you can hear me okay, Jeff. I see you there grabbing your yep, ear a bit. Let's start with you, Jeff. Uh, what do you do for worldwide technology?
1: So currently, I'm the director of cybersecurity engineering strategy uh, as well. Uh, And that's really a mix of uh, both the strategy of our organization, our cybersecurity organization here at WWT, specializing in a couple of um, key programs and projects. Cyber resilience is just one of those.
0: I knew I'd have to run into some problem here. (laughs) There we go. Okay, I think that we're seeing, hopefully, you guys are seeing that back now. The switches and the buttons are getting all flipped around. But uh, maybe there's a lesson for our particular topic today. We'll talk maybe later. But Scott, what do you do something different than what Jeff does? Why might we have you on a show with Jeff today?
2: I do. And uh, good morning, Robin. good morning, Jeff. Uh, so Scott Webb, I have responsibility for the global storage practice at uh, WWT. And specifically within that realm, uh, the data protection side, is wh- which is where Jeff and I overlap, right? So Jeff coming at this more from a uh, security focus, me more from a uh, data protection and backup focus.
0: That's perfect. And that I think that's a, probably a good way to start. Jeff, I'll start with you. Let's just cover the term. It's one of my favorite ways to start. Some may or may not be familiar, but then we'll dig into the differences of, of why this is not just terminology. But cyber resilience, how do you begin to describe what that is conceptually, perhaps?
1: Yeah, that's that's a good question. <clears throat> a lot of people, um, cybersecurity cyber in general is this, you know, ethereal thing that people create and mess with and work with. Cyber resilience is, adds some <clears throat> complexity into that sometimes. But at its basic core, cyber resilience, uh, it allows organizations to plan, prepare for, adapt, recover, respond to cyber threats after they happen. So the idea, the different, the main difference I want to make sure everyone understands here, cybersecurity is about basics of blocking and tackling Security in your organization, firewalls, VPNs, um, endpoints, you, you name it. Just the traditional, what everybody tries to do today to secure their data. Mm-hmm. Cyber resilience is a methodology that flips that coin. and says, okay, when you're attacked, what do you do? Are you preparing for it? How do you withstand uh, an attack? Um, how do you recover from that attack if it happens, when it happens? And how do you adapt going forward? So it requires a different philosophical mindset.
0: So. Yes, yeah, so I guess because uh, fr- from a textual standpoint or the terminology, I would normally say cybersecurity might be something that's a very common topic and that doesn't go away here. It sounds like you're saying, but the resilience is a very specific focus on, um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but is it is it assuming that something's going to happen and thinking maybe more proactively about, well, what happens when that happens? You and I, I'll just, I, can't, I keep trying to hold back. You and I've talked about studying the Stoics. And that is here we go with the nerd talk again Um, for anyone that's not forgive us, but it's although it's interesting. But I believe that's kind of the same thing that those philosophers um, were arguing for, which is life's life's crazy. Uh, It's not it's not considered a negative thing to think in advance about what could happen so that you can choose your response uh, more dynamically. Is that kind of where that's where this is positioned?
1: Absolutely. Maybe we can do a, maybe we can do a future podcast on Stoics and cybersecurity. Um,
0: It'll be huge. But
1: I think it's, yeah, <laughs> for all two of us. Um, I think that you're right, right? There's so many organizations who are struggling. When, when you hear ransomware attacks, everybody gets up in arms. Oh my gosh, what do I do? How do I make sure? And the immediate gut response is, and I've been a CISO for, for quite some time. So my peers, CISO peers, the gut response is, oh my gosh, I have to go buy some product. I have to go change this, I have to go kick off this project or program. I have to yeah. go to these, uh, to protect myself. But the problem is the approach is still a very defensive. It's mm. how can I keep the bad guys out versus flipping out saying, Hey, guess what? I can have everything perfect. And we've all heard this quote, you can do 99% of a hundred things. Right. And that 1% is going to bite you in the butt. So the idea is let's flip the model. Let's look at our organization through bad guys eyes and say, okay, when I'm attacked, Here's what I'm going to do. If, how would a bad guy attack my organization? Right? It gets everybody thinking very differently from the business side. So the business uh, owners and operators can think, oh, what, what's my most important information? How do I protect it? How do I recover it? How do I get it moving forward when it's breached or when it's, you know, a ransomware attack yeah. or when it just doesn't work, right? Um, so that that's kind of the philosophy behind it. Yeah.
0: Well, Scott, I want to ask you is I had a chance to visit the um Worldwide, worldwide technologies, famous uh, data center facilities. The why am I drawing a blank? Not the lab. The platform.
2: The APC. The, the APC. Oh, yeah. yeah.
0: Thank you very much. Yep. Complete uh, skipped uh, groove in the record groove there. So, uh, and this is back in 2011, and the focus was I was doing a video with some engineers, um, probably from one of your extended teams in regards to resilience and it was really focused on redundant data centers and managing technology in that sense. And there's a lot of stuff there and I think it probably plays into a lot of your background, but is resilience really where you uh, start playing more heavily from a security perspective in this role? And is that uh, your, cause your background's more storage, right? So uh, is it, is it something that's always been there or is this new for someone with a storage bent to be thinking, how do I play well with others when it comes to security and focusing Mm -hmm. on the real, meeting for the business so to speak
2: yeah it's it's a great series of questions uh rob and and you know i I think that the general answer is it's it's all of the above right so obviously organizations have legacy backup environments to your point they have dr facilities all all that stuff nothing really changes there in terms of all of that stays in place but this is now becoming more additive right so the data protection piece really comes into the, the recover part of that pillar. Right. And, you know, I think one thing to dive down on in, in, is in the past, data protection and backups have really been about data recovery, right? Because I'm assuming if I just lose one data center because of a, a disaster or something like that, you know, I can still restore that data and, and no services, maybe no other services have been affected, but in a cyber attack scenario, as, as Jeff is, uh, talking about here, what happens if my, you know, let's say my DNS is uh, compromised, my backup infrastructure is compromised. So there, in other words, I have really nothing to restore that data to. So that's kind of the new challenge that we're facing and, and kind of where we start overlapping from a data protection perspective into the security realm with Jeff.
0: Gotcha. Okay, thank you for that. So here's, as you've already noticed, uh, you know, in the title for today are the four pillars of cyber resilience. And, and I've laid them out on screen here, because I want to go through each one of these and have both of you weigh in. I'll, Jeff, I'll start with you, because I think that's where this is going to start regardless, um, with this anticipate pillar. Um, but one of the things I really want to make sure we get out of this is, I feel like, conceptually, this is not difficult to understand, right? You know, everything that both of you have said makes complete sense. It's nothing new. Our customers have been down this road in many ways before, but I know that you guys have been working on this for quite a while with a lot of different customers. And so what I'm really hoping, knowing that we won't accomplish it in the purest sense, but is to be able to give a feel for um, not just what this stuff is, but what have you guys learned about how to begin, and I think it starts with these four pillars, but how do you begin making it a reality in an operation, you know, which has all the messy stuff that every operation does, you know, which is, it's already doing business. It's already got equipment and gear and investments and, and at high expectations and things. So, um, I'm going to, let's see if this, if this thing will work, I'm going to go over here. Let's start with the anticipate pillar, but Jeff, (laughs) you mind starting us and we can jump around between pillars as necessary, but I'm gonna see if my little, my little graphic tricks here work to keep us organized. (laughs) Tell us what we need to understand here first.
1: Yep. So, um, as you mentioned, I've, I've done cyber resilience, cybersecurity for many, 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 many years and cyber resilience in particular for just about 11 now, employing um, different projects and programs under these these four pillar concept. And I think that, you know, the anticipate piece is one of the most foundational ones that elements are found that that companies can start with, you've got to understand where your vulnerabilities are, you've got to understand where your threats are coming from. Um, you've got to look at yourself again, like I said earlier, from a, how a bad guy looks at the organization, and then The challenge with that is not just how you look at yourself, but then from a cyber guy's perspective, cyber resilience impacts business IT and cyber. So it's not just cyber alone. So from this anticipate pillar, you've got to look at the business and how the business, what the business considers most important. How Mm -hmm. is that, what is most important there? How is that secured? Why would a bad guy go after it? How do you recover from that? As Scott was talking about earlier, how do you recover just your most core important data uh, versus everything under the bus, right? You don't want to, you yeah. can't back up and restore everything. It's got to be a subset, right? So under the anticipate pillar, there's really things like predict, prevent, prepare, um, sub-pillars, if you will. And, that, and there's very specifics beneath each one of those that we've we've come up with as, a, as an organization, as WWT, implementing this, these pillars in a way that's very functional for people. But we, again, we address the business side of anticipate, uh, anticipating threats and vulnerabilities, the IT side which is, you know, what do I have out there? What third-party systems am I vulnerable to? As many of the breaches in the last 12, 18 months have, have proven out. Um, but then there's also the cyber operations piece. Is my cyber operations team operating from a defensive mode only? How do they flip that model and say, okay, where's my cyber intelligence? How do I yeah. prepare for these types of things and anticipate? So,
0: And I feel like there's two, the big, two big things you brought up in there that, that are very interesting to me in the sense of, well, one is that I don't think historically from a security perspective, the idea of anticipating, um, which some may consider to be just a negative outlook, right? Which is, and, and anybody that's been any time in security, security people tend to pride themselves on being able to say, how would I how can this break and what happens when it breaks and how can I make it break? Um, you know, and studying uh, Bruce Schneier for years and 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 some of his things are uh, from cryptography. Well, I didn't read the cryptography book because it was too dense for me, but um, <laughs> some of the other stuff, you know, I, I had some really good frameworks around it, but the idea of not simply focusing on where we go next and this withstand, which is where I feel a lot of people start off, which is just simply, well, secure everything because then that's not that the most important. Right. I just need to be protected. And if I get that right, then all this doesn't matter. And we, but we've seen that that doesn't work. How surprised are customers in this? Because I feel like our customers still, is this new to some people or is it, yeah, I get this. Now, how do I go about starting this on the anticipate side?
1: Yeah. So that's a, that's a really good question. Um, <clears throat> I think Scott can attest to this too, right? That just the customers that, that WWD has worked with in the last six, eight months or so, um, some of them it's new. Some of them are like, um, my board said something about resilience and how to prepare for ransomware. Where do I start? Yeah. Um, to other very large organizations organizations that are like, okay, uh, cyber resilience is the same thing as in this framework. So uh, let's go, we Ooh. need to do what now. Right. Yeah. And there's, there's a disconnect. Um, but there's, you know, I, it's interesting. There's always been a mix. There's never been one leading the other in, in customers i work with over the years, but when it comes to things like withstand, as you mentioned, right, it's, um, yeah, I'll, I'll just shut off that system and reboot my other system, or I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll apply my firewall protection rules to that problem, and it'll go away. And the bad guys today are so much more
0: <laughs> just whack-a-mole. capable. Yeah.
1: All right. Exactly. Exactly. Right? Yeah, that'll. Um, and, and yeah, yeah. And some organizations have what you know what we commonly call M M&M and M security. You know, hard crunchy outside,
0: I hadn't heard that and very
1: soft and gooey in the middle. Yeah. Right? So there's, and that that's a lot of organizations. I'm getting And, that, hungry, and that, yeah. that's the. Yeah, I know that that's the gooey part of, of part of our jobs, right? Is uh, it, you know Scott's team comes in and says, "Okay, priority one is recover. How do we, how do we recover when we're breached?" And then from that, customers like, "Oh, wait a second, what? How do I get ready for one? How do I adapt and adopt going forward? And then how do I manage through this when it happens?" So, well, I, what you know, I like Scott, about he,
0: this and Scott, um, it this seems to play into your area, but I feel like the top security practitioners recently or over the years have have preached if they didn't always accomplish this idea of saying, hey, don't forget, we need to understand what are our most important assets. What are the what's the bare minimum an organization could our organization could run on and how quickly, what would be the gap in time, what does it cost when those things happen? Those have crept heavily into the security side. And I love the fact that this really kind of forces it into the conversation, maybe more directly than it has in the past, is that a helpful thing, Scott? And is there anything else we need to understand from your perspective on this anticipate pillar?
2: Yeah, I think that's exactly right, Rob, and I think Jeff nailed it. Right, you know, customers are, are coming to us now. They're they're reading about it. They're seeing it on TV. The the latest ransomware attack, and they understand they're exposed, but they don't really know where to start. Right. So, you know, I think one of the things that WWT has been very successful with is is really getting in and and kind of doing like a workshop engagement with a customer really, you know, really to not only help us understand their environment, but maybe to help them understand their own gaps, right? So, you know, we we keep using cyber resilience uh, and, and that's accurate, But what we're finding is a lot of times we engage with customers, they really don't have a good handle on their backup environments. Meaning if we would ask the question, what, you know, what is the success rate of, you know, when you do a a nightly backup? And they're going to, you know, first thing they're going to say is 100%. Right. But when we still, you know, when we start peeling back that onion, you know we a lot of times identify some very critical applications or dependencies that aren't even being backed up right so cyber resilience is an awesome program but if we're missing the basic blocking and tackling we're going to have a big problem when a cyber event happens and we don't even have a good clean backup to restore from right so it's almost yeah. going back to basics and you know to your earlier point rob yes they they have backups and and they've been doing this since the beginning of time but but is somebody really making sure that you know the backups are done great has anybody tested to see if we can restore from them right so that there's you know there's just a series of uh you know i wouldn't say simple but it's a process flow to follow to make sure in the event of something like this happens that we have a clear path to to keeping the business up and running right
0: yeah it's always that question of i'm not saying it is going to happen i'm just saying could it happen and if it could yeah you know and because i was i probably shouldn't say this but i was embarrassed i was um we have every now and then you have a power outage to the house here and I have UPS backups and such like this. And I didn't realize, uh, but my Drobo didn't come back online. And I have a Drobo that I use uh, a network attached Drobo for, uh, time machine backups for my various Macs here, uh, separate from Synology, which I use for archive. Well, the I paid attention because I'm working with the archive stuff more often uh, back and forth uh, on the Synology, but I didn't realize that the, the Drobo didn't come back up. And then by the time I was looking, and I didn't need it, thankfully, but I was going, checking my time machine backups, and I'm like, oh, it's been failing, but I didn't know it for four days since that last power outage. And Whoa uh you know nothing happened but it just reminded me in a small way of the simple things that can fall through the cracks if you don't have a process in place so i'm not a good example of how to do it right i'm more of a before example for you guys um on this but but i think
1: yeah. i think that raises a good point though too right um the the idea of being resilient many companies are familiar with when it comes to tornadoes and hurricanes and fires and floods right there's policies insurance policies that say you know, you're insured against <clears throat> X, Y, and Z, and the company's responsible then to come back and say, how am I making sure my business can come back up and running from a physical sense, right from the physical yeah. building and, and et cetera, et etc. When it comes to cybersecurity, people aren't thinking about, at the end of the day, it's about making your business resilient, capable, flexible, elastic, so you can still deliver your services, or security if you're the government or, or whatever. Um, and doing so in a way that that you can minimize and reduce the risk and attack. Uh, surfaces that you've got, and I think many people again, it, it's still, it's a mental shift of it's not the NIST framework, it's not traditional cybersecurity, it's something a lot different, yeah, uh, and a lot more impactful. So,
0: yeah, and I like that because you're still applying the NIST framework in a lot of ways, but it's incomplete in terms of this being a frame a complete framework for mm-hmm. for again, what I like here is that you're focused on saying how do we keep the business operational minimize downtime and, and things that can hurt, <laughs> you know, which is the stuff we ultimately were all there to do from the get-go it's just for whatever reason, maybe we get in our silos and we forget as we, as we become a, you know, territorial experts in our, in our given fields. Um, you've already hit on a lot of this, but uh, Jeff withstand, is this where a lot of people traditionally have started? It feels like this was always the starting point for a lot of security, which is, well, here's a list of things yeah. I need to stop. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, after it happens, right? Again, it's oh my gosh, how'd that happen? I don't know. Because if it that's firewall.
0: yes, it's security's okay. always been reactive <laughs> by nature. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And this is and cyber resilience is it's again flipping that it's being proactive. So I mean, honestly, as I said earlier, withstand is really about um, continuing essential mission business business functions, right? So yeah. what are those you know initial business critical functions that that have to be kept up and running despite an attack, right? So it's a, it's a, again it's a different perspective. It forces in the withstand pillar, it forces organizations to say if I'm the CIO, you know, what do I, what core technologies do I need to make sure I'm up and running for the business? Right. the business has to answer that question. What do I need to, to run the company? Is it the financial monthly financials or is it my customer database so my customers can talk to me all the time? Right. Yeah. So those, those are hard decisions to make. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, those decisions have to be clear. It can be like, you know, doing this in phases, there, there was one organization we were just talking to recently about cyber resilience, and we talked to them about what they needed to be backed up and, and restored. And they said everything. And this is not okay. a small okay. company. It's right. a Let big company, yeah. right? They said everything. <laughs> and, and, the, and the team kind of chuckled and said, Okay, we understand, but it can't be everything. Because it's, that's just incredibly, you know, difficult and complex. Um, it's not disaster recovery, which a lot of people think it is, right? But it's, it's, the, it's a whole functional mindset. And again, like as, as, as Scott mentioned earlier, it's, it is very much the educate and learn phase of, of implementing cyber resilience that people are, are just having to get their heads around. So it's, it's a different approach.
0: Yeah, I was reading some stuff you guys shared with me. And I and before, I, I'm jumping back to the withstand for just one more moment. But these idea of COAs or course of actions is not something I was necessarily familiar with. And it sounds like something maybe prescriptive that you guys work with customers on. Can you explain what that is? Sure.
1: Uh, so... I'll, I'll take a quick stab at that, Scott, and then. Uh, and then oh yeah, I'm sorry. It. Yeah,
0: so, I was directing that your direction, yeah, yeah. Jeff, but I guess yeah, Scott. I'm not. I'm not going to ignore you because you're coming up and recover for big time here. <laughs> so. <Sure.
1: laughs> um, so yeah, uh, course of action are just uh, evolved many, many actually a long time ago. <laughs> show my age, decades ago. Um, oh. Regarding more of a, uh, an application from the military, what's your course of action? A COA oh, okay. on the battlefield. I used to think SOP, right, yeah, translates. standard operating procedure, yeah. but yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. But so yours, it as like it a relates reaction to cybersecurity.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, as it relates to cybersecurity, right, it's a course of action, it's preemptive. What are you gonna do? How's this gonna work? What's your course of action when this system gets shut down uh, and your customers cannot access the database? What happens when finance gets shut down? So what's your course of action? And and this partly plays into having an incident response plan within the cybersecurity element of your organization, uh, but that it, there's very much a business and IT structure that has to play into what, like, what course of action uh, that an organization has to take when they get attacked. And having that forces the organization to say, okay, well, how do I prioritize what the most like uh, likely attacks are? And in some cases, customers and companies cannot get around the fact that they're just gonna be exposed to some degree. Nice. Right. So how do you live with and, and manage the risk of just being exposed? You always know, I've got to use these three, three third parties. I'm giving my customers this type of access across all of their browsers and phones. I mean, the remote workforce hit on this Topic really heavily, all of a sudden the company's like, crap, everybody's getting access to everything. How do I manage all this noise? And, and now they're they're coming back saying, okay, how do I create courses of action to manage through certain types of attacks? So is that it's, a it's common a question you,
0: you would ask a customer in a new relationship perhaps and, and just to get a feeling maybe for their maturity level in this area by finding out if they could even verbalize it or maybe do you look for it to be documented and shared and refreshed? I mean, cause it always feels like, you know, you don't want it to be that project you guys did four years ago, you know, and that you're yep, yep. blowing the dust off when something happens. Right. <laughs>
1: Exactly. That's, that's a great okay. point, right? That, is, that it comes at in our know, first maturity evaluation, right? Is with a customer, when we sit down, we talk to them about their overall maturity as it relates to cyber resilience. You know, what? how do you handle it? What is your course of action if X happens? You know, yeah. and, and usually it's a, a deer in the headlights. Um, I don't know. What do we do? Well, we did that, but we did that plan five years ago. All right, yeah. well. Might, let's, let's see if we can mature that. So you know, let's talk about, re- I want
0: to talk about recover because I'm always curious how hard this is. Cause I think a good practice that I don't follow all the time on my end, using my previous example would be to um, you know, sometimes it used to be like yanking a cable to see what happens uh, or, but it, but it's also testing your the very basics of testing your backup and saying, can I recover fully on this? I feel like that's a harder thing for an enterprise to do because it could happen at different levels. and. What is the balancing act in being able to test your recovery plans, assuming that you have them? You know, Scott, where, where are you seeing people? What's the right level of maturity you strive for here?
2: Yeah, it, it's always it's always cost versus complexity, right? And I think you know, kind of adding to what Jeff said, you know, we spend a lot of time in this education session just really walking customers through that methodology, right? If I could go back to critical applications for a second, you know, as, as Jeff pointed out, that when you ask a customer that question the first time, the answer is, well, my whole organization is critical. I need everything back. And again so now that your cost has just went through the roof we know that's not attainable we throw a price tag out there and then they come back and go oh maybe i only need 20 percent of that right but it's you know then it's like okay I, let's just say that 20 percent is 20 applications do you understand the dependencies of those applications let's take a, a database for instance maybe a database that one application may have hundreds of dependencies hundreds of sub applications or, or you know websites hitting it right so it's really helping them understand that balance, you know, right there. And then I think, you know, the, we, we, Jeff and I talk about this a lot, right? But from a recovery standpoint, as we've said in the past, customers have disaster recovery, you know, run books and and playbooks for a regional disaster. This is something entirely different that no one has planned for before. And a lot of times we only may get one shot at restoring it. So what what does that mean from a backup perspective? It means not only do I need to know my backups are working and they're being successful, but can I guarantee they're immutable? Can I guarantee they're clean? Can I guarantee they won't be deleted in the event of a, you know, a cyber attack? And, And the other big thing is when it is time to do that, restore in a traditional you know disaster recovery environment it is restore that data and get it back up and running as soon as possible. In a cyber attack scenario, I need Jeff and the security teams sign off that, hey, we're good. The threat has been neutralized. We know this backup is clean. It's okay to restore this environment, right? That's very different. That's a very planned one-time shot versus, hey, a user randomly deleted a directory of files and I just need to get that, you know, uh, restored as soon as possible. So going back to the question of, you know, where, you know, what is the the right level of backup and, and education to that customer? It, it truly depends on what they're deeming to be, you know, critical. What their RPO, RTO is, and and just get, you know, making sure they understand that this is beyond just data recovery at this point. This is now a security event. It most likely involves the entire organization, and there needs to be a plan around it.
0: I didn't think of this till just now, so hopefully that you're okay with me winging this question in. Um, but Wait. I remember these these old days. You're welcome. Uh, the the old days of. Um, you know, we used to deal with uh, it, it, only some phone calls were encrypted. This is in the, the PSTN days and such like this, right? And But one of the things that I, that I think Schneier had taught me in one of the books, you know, this notion of, because of, uh, I, I was running a PBX for a large hotel for a period of time. And one of the things um, that was interesting was, is the fact that someone was using encryption told you a lot. There's a certain amount of information that can be valuable that something, this thing's encrypted, these are not. So you could maybe say, oh, this must be important if I'm an outsider looking in, trying to figure out where's the good stuff. And then and one of the ways to get around it was the most non-technical thing, but it was to cause a disturbance on the line and cause them to uh, to find another channel of communication because the assumption being it's important, the communication is going to want to get out. And so if they can't do it securely, they're still going to do it and they're just going to risk it. And the reason why I bring that up is I wonder if this is even an issue at all. I don't want to make stuff up. But you the want- notion of being forced into a recovery situation as an organization And the notion of are you coming up in a secure state from the get-go or is there a window of vulnerability perhaps assuming maybe that recovery was forced and the whole idea was to create that that short time window? I don't know. Is that a silly thing to think about or is these kind of (laughs) things that people are thinking about regularly
2: or should be? Yeah, I – Okay. If can I take a first stab at that, Jeff? So I would say not only is it not silly, Rob. That is absolutely the kind of things that are happening, right? And you know, an example. And and don't quote me on the exact time frame. Jeff may know this better than me. The the typical time a piece of malware or ransomware lays dormant into an environment can be between sixty or ninety days, right? So that that system has been affected, but you won't notice any impact of that for 60 to 90 days, right? So if we think of that in backup terms, I now know I need to have at least 60 to 90 days worth of clean backups because anything, you know, in between that time is also going to be infected and therefore Jeff would never sign off and give me the okay to uh, restore that, right? So, you know, it, it's all of these little tips and tricks to get around security, security policy that, that we now have to double down on and really think through, right, from that planning phase.
0: Yeah, Jeff, yep, what do you think? Yeah, boy,
1: both of you guys. I mean, that, that's a, <clears throat> those are great points. Um, you know, Rob, I, you know, it sounds like you've been reading some national, national security journals um, <laughs> quite In frankly, quite it, yeah. seriously. So from, from a bad guy's perspective, and I spent a fair amount of time pretending to be one. Yeah, um, yeah. Getting into organizations, right? That's exactly, you know, Scott hit it, right? It's when you get into, a bad guy gets into a network, you, you're not gonna know it, right? They're conducting surveillance and reconnaissance. They will find the most important data, They'll anchor themselves behind a dark hole somewhere, and they'll sit and wait. And then, when they're ready to um, announce their presence, so to speak, they'll conduct ransomware attacks, or they'll just sit back there and steal data and exfil it out to some other server somewhere. So, when companies want to even go through a traditional, um, you know, cyber resilience program plan, that is always one of the questions: under your recover, how do you know what you're recovering is clean? Yeah. Right. So it's always determining there's So it's actually three pillars, three sub pillars that we use in recover, determine damages, restore the capability, uh, and then determine the reliability of that information. So there's actually there's a, a small, you know, set of tasks and a program around recover for cyber resilience that has to address things that Todd or that Scott exactly just said, right, it's very much, how do you know what's been compromised? How do you how long was the last backup? What type of compromise is it? Right? So there's a whole series of steps that fall into that that bucket, if you will, that foundation, But you're right. I mean, as I said earlier, these attacks are getting much more complicated now. They're much more targeted in the sense that it's not—they're not um, website defacements as they used to be, you know, twenty years ago. These are Uh, kind of the simple (laughs) days, right? Now, now it's getting in there and and looking for certain people's information or certain company information or using your company to leverage and hop to another organization, right? Yeah. Yeah, Or and conduct cyber intelligence. I mean, it's it's definitely. it's it's not you know voodoo. It's not end of the world scenario, but the data that people have access to is is becoming um, prolific. Well, it's a,
0: it's and, a market. So. There's money behind yeah. doing bad stuff, unfortunately, and that's so. It's never going to go away. Security is a gift that keeps on giving. I've used that quote for a long time, mm-hmm. but because it, it it's constantly changing and morphing and. Uh, And the strategies, and that's part of what makes it entertaining. But ideally, we want to make sure that that nothing is is death for a given business. um, You know, because you you want to be able to take punches, I think is what resilience feels like to me is it, you know, can you take punches and keep standing um, and function? and retaliate if necessary, but different subject. Um, Let's cover (laughs) adapt before we run out of time um, on this one, because I'm curious as I was looking through my notes and just thinking about uh, some things that have changed. This notion of adapt is, one, what do you mean? And I'm also, if you can weave into this, and I don't know who should start, but um, the notion, I wonder where cloud fits in these days with regards to how you look at the adapt phase. Um, you know, in terms of whether you're running from the cloud or not, is there something? Is there some part that cloud should play? I don't. Know. Your thoughts, either one of you.
2: Yep. Go ahead, Scott. You start. Yeah, I, I'll take an initial stab at it for sure. So, it, you know, cloud is a part of basically every organization at this point. Whether they have production applications running in the cloud, or maybe the cloud is just a uh, backup target for their data protection strategy. Right. So it is when we get engaged with a full cyber resilience program and even the, the the backup and recovery part of that, cloud is a consideration in all of those. And as I think what you're alluding to, Rob, is what layer of complexity does introducing cloud into this whole thing do, right? Because it's one thing to protect on-prem, but now I have an environment that I am in charge of securing and backing up that I really don't have control over. I have control over what they let me have. But uh, but yeah, it, it, is, it, it is a part of our workshopping, it's part of education and it's definitely a part of the plan to what level it, it really just depends on what, you know, h- how many or what type of critical applications does said customer have running, w- you know, what's the cloud and, in you know, th- those kind of considerations.
0: Yeah. Good call. Jeff.
2: Yep. Yep. So
1: under <clears throat> the adapt, um, adopt really. It's, it's really, um, did I put it
0: wrong? No, no, oh, you're it right, is. You're adapt. Right. Okay. So okay. Think, just making I, sure I'm like, I think, cause I've done yeah. that before. <laughs> All right. All no, right.
1: No, you're right. You're right. Um, so a lot of organizations, right? It, it when you get to that phase, there's a bit of a, a cycle that happens. Because when you start looking at over, you know, how you want to adapt your organization, you have to look back at, at anticipate and withstand and then recover and say, Okay, what do I change yeah. after the fact, right? Yeah. So when you look at this, from like a cyber attack lifecycle, um, the withstand and recover pieces are actually within the cyber attack lifecycle anticipate mm-hmm. and adapt are pre and post an attack. So if you look at this adapt from a post breach issue, uh, really, that you have to look at things like transforming your business processes. Is that necessary? Transforming IT processes in technology? Is that necessary? Uh, and then cyber operations? How does the cyber operation, did cyber operations operate efficiently and effectively? Um, and when what needs to be rearchitected and rearchitected, not only from a from a technical perspective, but from a business perspective, I've been in many plans, many projects like this, where the customer comes back and says, wow, I, I did not know uh, all of the things I know now about wh- how I need to retransform my business or rearchitect some of my business functions so that reduces risk, reduces IT cost in, by the way, yeah. and then also makes my organization a bit tighter and more secure. So it's very much a, a, a customer technology you know non-technology centric I should say business conversation. But then on the flip side, as Scott points out, there's definitely you know cloud plays into this. I mean, cloud is just your stuff on somebody else's computer at the end of the day. So that's not very secure from a cyber guy's perspective, no matter what you do. But there is a, 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 a necessary, a, a necessary a view that you've got to look at all the components within yeah. your uh, technology and how to figure out how to adapt and adjust after an attack.
0: One thing I always thinking about with cloud is I always worry about, you mentioned complexity, increasing layers of complexity, but also increasing feels like layers of complacency that we've seen over yeah. time where there's an assumption that that's being handled or something else. But it feels like it just increases the complexity of the need to test the various failure scenarios that are most likely to happen. Um, in fact, let's get into this as we end this up. I want to make sure we've had a chance. You guys have, have, have kind of said this throughout, but tell me a little bit about the services that you guys offer to help kind of demystify this topic, make it more digestible for a customer who's like, this is a lot to take on. We've got stuff in motion already that we need to, to not, we can't throw it out. We, we, you know, we need to, we need to leverage it. I assume you've worked in those situations before. Can you talk a little bit about what, what kind of stuff WWE is offering in this area?
1: Sure. Scott, cool. why don't you start with the the recovery workshops?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So as we talked about earlier, Rob, you know, the customers to us right now are coming in really because they're, they're hearing it about it in the news and the media. It's like, okay, I, I need to be cyber resilient. A lot of times they don't even know what that means, but it's really about unpacking and, and kind of understanding, you know, where, where are they at now in terms of their ability to protect their data and their environment and where are they trying to get to, but not only where are they trying to get to, what are the drivers for them doing that? Is this a board level directive? Do they have some regulatory compliance issues? because their you know financial organizations, so it, it's those kind of considerations. But really, I, I think WWT's key differentiator there is really just the framework. Walking them through that that process and taking as, as Jeff will get into cyber resilience programs. are very very complicated and they're you know very intensive in terms of consulting and, and stuff like that, which is great. A lot of times the customer is just saying, hey, you know, my boss called me and he said, you know, he saw the Colonial Pipeline hack on the news and he says we need a cyber cyber vault. So can you, can I buy one of those from you? And you know, uh, that I'm checking the box and I'm calling it a day, right? That, that answers a part of the problem, but as Jeff will attest to, that's a very small component of being cyber resilient or cyber secure.
0: Yeah. So it's a good start, yeah. but uh, let's not fool ourselves into thinking maybe that it's comprehensive. Yeah. Jeff, go ahead.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that's a good point. I think, um, you know, I'm thinking through some of the, the clients that we're working with now and and, Scott's right, right. We definitely started from the perspective that there was a set of uh, recovery motivations to make that happen. But I'm in the last couple of months, music. Was, I don't want to confuse you. But sure, yeah. sure. Go ahead, keep going. In the, last, in the last couple of months, what we've really seen as um, a, a driver is, okay, I don't understand what resilience is. How do I start? Where do I start? So what uh, we've done is yeah. we actually organized our pillars uh, pretty prescriptively and organized a set of really um, not very complex, not very, you know, not Deep and and costing a lot of money, but really done well in a bite-sized chunks. So we're going to get organization can say, where do I start? Here's what I have, and we're able to do a quick assessment and say, okay, you need this, but not this, and you need this, but not that. And we've developed a fast way, an efficient way to to bring customers up the maturity curve, if you will, uh, from what they have to even getting better. So.
0: Well, perfect. Well, I, I that's the thing I love about you guys the most is the fact that you bring the wealth and knowledge from multiple customers and industries uh, into the situation because it's its unique, it constantly changes, we're always needing updating. And, um, and so I would imagine you guys have built a lot of long term relationships doing this as well um, in that process. But Jeff and Scott, I want to thank you so much. For joining us, I appreciate you taking your time to share your brilliance. I wanted to encourage you to go look at their web page, and there's a lot of resources on what they call the platform. This is something Worldwide Technology. I encourage you to sign up for uh, because it enables you to be updated on events like this, as well as a whole lot of other things. Whether it's access to to labs, uh, wanting to learn more, test drive equipment, gear, ask. Any question that you may have of the thousands of experts that Worldwide Technology makes available, a lot of this starts, you can connect with them through the page here. So great stuff to take advantage. Um, Don't pass up that opportunity. You should see links below. I'll put one up on the screen as we go out. But thank you for watching Tech 37. My name is Rob Boyd. Appreciate your time. Please enjoy the rest of your day.